0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by South Carolina coach Mark Kingston, who will let us know about the Gamecocks as we creep ever closer to the 2021 college baseball season. But before we get to all of that, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College Podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo national player database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up, gets to your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo national player database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it's uh it's Christmas week. We want to wish all of our listeners happy holidays. Hopefully everyone is, able to, uh, you know, have a nice holiday um, season here coming up. It's going to be a different one, uh, assuredly, but we wanted to keep the podcast coming because, uh, you know, I know that just because it's the holidays doesn't mean that you don't have time to kill or drives to make, dogs to walk, dishes to wash. I don't know. Whenever you listen to podcasts, those are all examples of, of when I listen to the podcast. So uh, I, I assume all of you are, are doing similar things uh, here. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, if you are not subscribed to the Baseball America College Podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app: Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're finding the podcast, you can uh, you can subscribe. But Joe, uh, it's a holiday season, and, and I'm I'm told you have uh, an update for all of our. Uh, you know, listeners that have been been with us throughout the fall about your your trash can situation.
1: Yes, thank you for allowing me to bring our listeners up to speed on what I'm calling Trash Can Gate. Although I wish I had a better name for it, I feel like we overuse the the Watergate naming convention for different controversies in our in our life. I think Deflate Gate is what really kind of jumped the shark on things being you know blank gate whatever. So so anyway, listeners who listen to us regularly. you will remember a couple of weeks ago, I told the story of, I came back from being gone a couple of days and um, well, a little more than a couple of days, but being gone and the trash can was just gone. I'd set it out because I didn't want bags of trash sitting in my trash can the entire time I was gone and figured, yes, our, you know, our, our HOA doesn't like you to leave your trash cans out for a lengthy period of time. But I figured, you know what, it's a holiday week. This was Thanksgiving week. It'll be okay for, for this one time. I told some of my neighbors about it. I told, uh, you know, people around just so they could kind of keep an eye on it. Well, lo and behold, I come home, trash can is gone. Now, the first thing that very quickly happened is, uh, you know, I talked to the people it, it, that live closest to me and they said, oh, no, I, I, I'm i not sure I, you know, I'm not, we, we certainly don't have it, um, but I'm not sure exactly what happened. We didn't see anybody take it. So that, that was a dead end. So, I, you know, I just, after a few days, I called the city of Durham. Out here. And they were very accommodating. They were like, yeah, it just happens. The theory they had was, which I I don't, I, I did not buy at the time, but you know, I, I have no reason to, to not just believe this is true in general, but they say sometimes the, they use the automated trash truck, you know, to lift the can up over the the, the truck. And they say sometimes the can will just fall in as like a, as a malfunction. And that was their theory on what happened. I was like, eh, I don't know just seems too weird that it happened while it had been sitting out for a long, long time. That would be quite a coincidence. So, but moral of the story, they say, no problem. We'll bring you a new trash can. So uh, your boy has a brand new city of Durham trash can. The old, the one I had was frankly, I'd had started having a debate on like, do I call them and tell them I need a new trash can? Cause like the bottom is starting to like fall out of it. Like we inherited (laughs) this trash can. We moved in, the trash can was already here, you know, the city uses a special trash can. You can't just use whatever trash cans you have. So they all have to be uniform. And so we just kept the trash can. So now Joe's got himself a new trash can. I'm thinking all is right in the world. Well, here's the thing we get to the next trash day. I go to take my new shiny trash can out to the curb. And, you know, I'm kind of like got a little swagger in my walk with my new trash can. The wheels work a little bit better. It's not squeaking. And I go to set it on the curb and I notice the curb is full. we we put all of our trash cans in the same little section of curb me and my neighbors and the curb is full because Joe's old trash can has been pushed out to the curb. I look in it, it's empty. So my thought is that like some nosy neighbor, so either the neighbors I talked to are lying to me, but they're nice people. I'd like to believe they're not lying to me or some other nosy neighbor was like, Oh, we're not supposed to leave our trash cans out this long. I'm just going to take his trash can in and put it back out there on trash day. And you know, maybe he'll learn his lesson. So, uh, you know, while that was kind of annoying that I had to deal with that now, Joe has two trash cans, including a brand new one. So now I have a trash can I can push out there if I ever have like overrun trash, you know, if I have more bags than I normally have. Uh, so I feel like everything's coming up, Joe, on this story, as frustrating as it was to return home and have no trash can. Now I've got two and the brand new shiny one is, you know, kind of the bell of the ball right now.
0: So for everyone that speculated, the HOA... Uh, had abducted just trash can it looks like that might not have been the case
1: yeah i just think it's you know and look i'm not i'm you know i think sometimes hoas can be kind of obnoxious and they, they kind of create these some would say arbitrary rules to to just as a way to try to uh, control the neighborhood if you will that's a, a kind way of putting it but but that being said like i understand wanting to keep your neighborhood up like i enjoy that we we have we live in a neighborhood i'm very i'm, I'm proud to live in So I get that on some base level, but it just kind of felt like maybe a neighbor overstepped a little bit and was like, "What is this trash can doing? It's been out here for X number of days. Like I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Like that's my working theory here. I'll probably never be able to prove that, but that's kind of what I'm going with here. So it it just feels like somebody who felt like they were doing the right thing, but ultimately, um, you know, in my mind, maybe overstepped a little bit.
0: All right. So for everyone wondering about the the results of, of trash can gate as we're going to call it. I I think hopefully that's the last update we have, you know, I, I I would hope that (laughs) there's no more chapters to this story. Uh, But we thank you for, for listening and uh, supporting Joe in this uh, difficult time. Today on the podcast, uh, we want to hit on a couple news items before we get to our interview with Mark Kingston, uh, which we're going to have coming up here right in a, in a minute, and I guess, Joe, the biggest piece of news uh, from the last week around college baseball is that the ACC has settled on a schedule, uh, a scheduling model, and so they are going to play 12 weekends um, of three games apiece, 12 conference weekends of three games apiece, allow for two non-conference weekends and you know other non-conference games. Um, still starting on opening day, they're only going to play 50 down from 56 games is the plan. Um, I, the extra weekends gives them a little more flexibility and a little more certainty about testing, um, regimens that everyone's uh, up to speed on all of that. Um, it's a solid model, it seems like. When we talked about how the SEC has been kicking around their ideas, it's one of the ideas that the SEC has kicked around. Um, other conferences have, have talked about similar things, but especially in a conference like the ACC that has 14 conference teams, very easy to just kind of expand the number of conference weekends you're playing. Um, and I think a lot of those coaches are happy that they're sticking at three games a weekend as opposed to four
1: yeah, four games are just gonna to be tough. I mean it's a it is a a solution. I'm glad that it was discussed because it in a world where it looked like we were gonna to have to play maybe a ten 10 uh, weekends period, perhaps that was a more of a, a viable solution. so I, I appreciate that it was that it was discussed because it was a little bit outside the box and they're, they're trying everything and I think one of the things you and I have talked about a lot, Throughout this off seasons, we just really kind of wanted there to be some imagination about scheduling. So that was good. But ultimately, ACC settles on a pretty normal layout. And I don't think given that it's 50 games, given that it's the ACC, which, by the way, you know, starts its conference play a week earlier than, say, the SEC, because it usually built in for most teams was building in a a a. Um, a week of non-conference play during the middle of the season. Now that will not be the case. Well, it,
0: it was, um it's an idle weekend because some teams in the ACC, some schools need a finals break. There North it is, Carolina, yeah. Duke, Georgia Tech, um, for instance, I, I, I'm forgetting somebody, I, I think, that all take a committed weekend off during the regular season because of finals.
1: Yeah, there it is. So, yeah, thank you for that that context there. So, yes, they – they so they start a little bit earlier so now we're only talking like one week earlier than that so not only does that feel pretty familiar but also 50 games look i'm a guy who you know t- t- to use a phrase when it comes to the college baseball season i like to eat the whole eat the whole animal like i'm not only watching the big acc and sec series but i'm doing some of the random 2 p.m on a tuesday midweek games like i really do enjoy that aspect but even for me I just don't know that I'm going to miss those six games. I mean, I want to have them in 2022. Don't get me wrong. Like I don't want us to, to, for 50 games to be a starting point moving forward, but for a one year deal, when you consider some of the more dire alternatives that were maybe in play or were thought to be in play at other points, like I'll take 50 games. When you consider that those six games, what's going to be sacrificed probably. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with coach Kingston, um, you know, I'll, I'll let you listen to what he says about the Clemson series, for example, but we're probably not losing those types of games. What we're probably losing are the midweek games against the mid or low major school a couple hours down the road, uh, because those schools aren't maybe gonna have the, the same level of rigorous testing. They're just not gonna be, you know, it's an easy game to cut, we'll put it that way. And so those are the more the types of games that are kind of missing And as much as I want those games to continue into the future, because those are good opportunities for those mid low major schools for sure. Given what we we're dealing with here in 2020, I don't think those games are necessarily uh, going to be missed in the grand scheme of things. So I think it's what they've landed on, I think, is a – for the college baseball fan, I think this is good news about the proposal they've landed on. And now, obviously, we have to execute it. That's a whole different deal. We've seen some of the fits and starts that basketball has had. We, we've talked a little bit about the differences in basketball and baseball and how there's some advantages for baseball. So but now they have to execute that schedule. But as a starting point, I like where we've landed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I would say that it's a it's a pretty solid plan. Um, yeah, the the devil's in the details and in the execution. Um, you know, the, each of these ACC teams is going to have to cut at least one non-conference weekend. Like I said, so many of them take a weekend off anyway because of uh, finals. That there, a lot of them are only playing three non-conference weekends. Um, so the, those schools would only have to cut one and frankly, they're for the most part going to be losing a, you know, a low major weekend Virginia last year. I just have their schedule up Oklahoma, Bucknell, Dartmouth. Um, in this case, Dartmouth would probably go because of the uncertainties of the Ivy league. Uh, but you know, it, a, 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 series like that is what we're eliminating or two series like that. Um, Obviously not something we want to repeat, but in this particular year, totally understandable. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the ACC coaches, athletic departments, presidents, everyone that had to sign off on that should be applauded for what they've come up with. I think it's a workable plan uh, to the extent that any of these plans are workable. Obviously, um, you know, we've seen games canceled and in, in just about every sport to this point. So reasonable to assume that, not every team is going to play every game uh in in college baseball as well but i it seems like a a totally reasonable approach um so yeah we'll we'll see where that that all goes we'll see what the sec does with it um but hopefully we are able to see some of those those great sec acc matchups on the diamond that we weren't able to see on the football field this year um you know miami uh and and Florida hopefully we get that hopefully we get Clemson and in South Carolina and Georgia and Georgia Tech and Kentucky and Louisville and there's so many of these crossovers that are huge series in baseball uh, whether it's a midweek or, or a, a weekend you know I, I just want to see them and unfortunately in football we weren't able to see them this year so hopefully we can get them in baseball and Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit with Mark Kingston here, as well as, uh, you know, the Gamecocks overall, which are just a a very interesting team here as we look to 2021 and, you know, the for for a variety of reasons, they've they've got a lot coming back. They've got a lot of depth. Those are not unique situations, but I do think there are, you know, not uniquely positioned, there are other teams like this, but if we're going to talk about a breakout team potential, I think South Carolina could be that because they were so far down from what their, you know, typical season is in 2019 when they missed the NCAA tournament. And then in 2020 they went 12 and four, which sounds fine. uh, And was, but they hadn't really done anything to break through on a national level yet. Ah, uh, they lost their series to Clemson. Uh, they 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 just hadn't had that big moment yet. So even if they were going to be much improved let, this spring, as many around the program and, and thought they were going to be, you know, this is it's been a while since the larger college baseball you know nation fan base whatever has seen South Carolina and has really been focused on them. So I I think that that makes them very interesting to watch as as we go into the the 2021 season so excited to hear from Mark Kingston about his team and we'll get into that in a second but first check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast we're excited to be joined by South Carolina coach Mark Kingston. The Gamecocks are uh, a very intriguing team as we start looking ahead to the 2021 season and coach we're uh, we're excited to be talking some baseball. It's close to the holidays, so happy holidays. Uh, and, you know, the the start of the season, not too far away now.
2: Yeah, same to you and everybody out there listening. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's it's a great time of the year where we're all kind of enjoying being with our families and a little bit of downtime, but also we're all starting to really look forward to the baseball season starting and it being right around the corner. So this is this is a great time of the year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're we're talking about how we're we're talking here at the end of December, but let's rewind a couple months here and go back to the start of the fall. Just it had been a long time since everyone had been able to get back out on the field, uh, you know, see each other as a team. What was that like just for everyone to be back together as a team after such a unusual spring, summer, such a trying time?
2: It it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, I think we we go back to March eleventh. I think when everything started to really start getting shut down, and so it, it had been a long time before we as coaches could interact and be with our players outside of Zoom meetings and Facetimes and phone calls and texts and emails. Um, it had been a really long time before we could since we could really be on the field with our guys and just we all as coaches and players we we love that camaraderie of being on the field and being together and having meetings and helping guys improve and making adjustments. So you kind of go through a withdrawal for so long because it had been from March into until, uh, up until late August and early September. So I think it was just, it was great for everybody to get back together, start to get that camaraderie again and, uh, and, and move into the fall. So it had been a long time coming, um, some guys had been able to go play summer ball and that was good for them, um, but in terms of us and our staff and our players all being together, it was great to finally finally reunite.
1: One of the other big things that happened between the time last season got cut off prematurely and coming back together in the fall is, is Carmen Majinski gets drafted by the Pirates. What was it like, even though it did get kind of cut off, what was it like to see him be able to put it all together, finally healthy, throwing the ball well, to put him in position to get drafted where he did. How rewarding was it to see him finally be able to do that and take those
0: strides?
2: Yeah, we were really happy for him and his family. Um, had the opportunity to go down to Hilton Head this summer and and, uh, and saw him and spent some time with him uh, along with Skylar Mead um, this summer when we all had some downtime and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And to watch him uh, – on TV, you know, during the draft, everybody was watching all the different broadcasts and to see him uh, with his family in their family room, get that call and and, and have that, uh, all that hard work pay off for him. It, it's very rewarding as a coach. That's one of the things you love about your job is that you get to remember kids when they were in high school and then when they committed and then uh, the process of, of going through freshman years and. The ups and downs of that, and then you see them start to grow up and, and evolve, and you see the improvements they made, and he made a lot of great improvements with Skylar here over the course of the years, and then to finally see that all come to fruition with being a first-round draft pick and and uh, and see him celebrate that with his family and talk to him afterwards, it's just, it's a really great part of our process uh, here as college coaches and, and what we're allowed to do and, and be a part of.
0: Now with with Carmen gone that of course leaves you know a hole at the front of the rotation you've got really no shortage of of guys who can step up uh Thomas Farr Brandon Jordan two of the uh you know the the more experienced guys on the staff who uh who do you see kind of moving to the front of the rotation and and what's the next step for for Thomas and for Brandon
2: well, I would say that's where you start with our pitching staff. That's where you start. You start with Far and Jordan, and you're talking about two guys that are mid to upper 90s, guys that have really good off-speed pitches. Um, they have a little bit of a track record, not quite the track record of some guys um, because of 2020 being uh, cut short. But in a, in a short look, they both last year were, were very, very good. Looking at the stats, you know Jordan had a 170 ERA, uh, 32 to nine strikeout to walk ratio and opponents hit 104 against him. And and with Far opponents hit 113 against him and he gave up six hits in 15 innings uh, with another 170 ERA and he was 3-0 in, in the shortened season. So feel really good that those two guys can match up with just about anybody we'll face. And in yeah. the SEC, we know Fridays and Saturday nights and, and really the entire weekend, um, but it starts on Fridays. You, you're going to have to really have some big time aces uh, to match up in our league. And I feel like we'll be able to match up and, and go toe to toe with just about anybody in our league. And then on that given night, it's who pitches better, who plays better, etc. Uh, but I feel like we can match up with most teams now having far and Jordan there. And then, you know, past that, I think we have a lot of guys that that have the potential to fill out that Sunday spot. Um, if we had a game this weekend, Julian Bosnick would be that guy. Um, he's a, 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 guy that has really come on. He's a left-handed pitcher out of Tampa, Florida, had Tommy John his first year, and now is, is coming into his second year off of surgery. And he is really blossoming. He's a, a lefty with really good command. Um, fastball was up to 96 this fall and has a really good breaking ball and change up. And he's, again, he's a competitor. And, and he's a guy that has really exploded onto the scene with scouts as of late. And I think uh, if we had a a series this weekend, that's the three guys you would look at uh, getting on the mound for us. And and that's, to me, that's, that matches up. And that's, that's what we're asking for at this point in our process of, of, of building this program back up to where everybody wants it to be. It has to start on the mound. And I feel like with those three guys, we feel like we can go toe to toe with people. So um, past that, there's a lot of guys, you know, you, you look at the Tuesday spot, if we have a traditional um, model for our schedule where we get to play midweek games, then you're looking at, you know, a bunch of young, um, very talented guys fighting for that fourth starter spot right now. And um, feel very excited about the guys that that we'll have to pick from for that spot as well.
1: One of the guys last year, for a couple of different reasons it just didn't have the freshman season he was probably hoping for was was Brennan Malone and I had to imagine that's pretty new for him a guy that maybe hasn't dealt with a ton of adversity like that so you know how did you see that he he dealt with that at the time and then what have you seen from him since then uh you know to give you confidence that he could be the type of player that you guys are looking for him to be ultimately
2: yeah what I think is lost on a lot of people and because again you have hundreds and hundreds of of baseball teams, and it's hard to keep track of the minutia and the details of every single team and and their personnel. Brennan only played five games for us last year out of the 16. He was dealing with a hip injury, and he really, even in the games he played, he was not at 100%. He was just starting to come into his own as the season was canceled. His last game, he he hit a home run to, to straightaway center field, and he was starting to get his legs underneath him. Um, but we basically played most of last season without him. um he's as talented a hitter as they come. turned down seven figures uh in the draft coming out of high school um hit in the three hole for when he was healthy the last game uh we hit him in the three hole um he's that talented uh, of a hitter and if he was healthy for us last year, I think you're looking at two or you know two or three more wins and you turn a team that was twelve and four into a team that was probably fourteen and two uh, at minimum so he's a guy that we're very excited about he's he's come through that hip injury and he is now 100 percent healthy knock on wood had a really good fall for us had a great summer um, playing here locally uh, in the coastal plain league so he's a guy that just the sky's the limit and, and he's a very hard worker and he's going to be right there in the middle of our lineup in, uh, helping us win a lot of baseball games I think
0: the, the nature of the 2021 college baseball season is such that teams are just deep. Uh, but when I look at your lineup, I see a lot of depth. I maybe don't see a ton of like traditional like right now surefire preseason All-Americans, but I see a lot of depth. What, who, who do you think has the chance to maybe take that step forward and become an All-American at the end of the year? And you know, how do you go about managing the depth um, that that you and and other teams do have this season?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say the, the first few guys you're looking at in terms of who are our, you know, our name guys, I think Ister and Allen out in the outfield are the first two guys you're going to look at, you know, both proven 300 hitters at this level. Um, both have very high on base percentages. Both have um, probably 55 to 60 power um, on the, on the pro scouts grading scale. Um, and they've really come along in the outfield defensively as well. So those are two guys that you're going to talk about as, as having, you know, the star type power. I think they'll really come into their own this year. Wes Clark is a guy that led the SEC in homers last year. He had eight homers um, in 16 games for us uh, last year in the 2020 season. And I think that's a guy that will have as much power production as just about anybody in the country. So I think starting with those three guys, you know, as 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 three name hitters, and then you add Brennan Malone to that mix. I think you're looking at four guys uh, that can really, again, match up with just about anybody we'll play. Um, whether they're named All-Americans yet or preseason All-Americans, that's to be determined. Um, but I feel really good that those four guys right there give us a great starting spot. And then uh, the guys past them, I, I think you're looking at um, some talented young guys and, a, you, know, you know, potentially a couple of transfers. You, you have Satterfield, and Mendham uh two left-handed hitters that one's a juco transfer one's a transfer from elon who is, a, is about a 330 lifetime hitter um so i think that's where offensively you're looking at and then jeff heinrich is a guy that that we think can can be a, a top 10 round draft pick at second base um and then you go into the outfield uh brandon Fields is a very exciting young uh, freshman center fielder for us and he's battling with noah myers who hit 324 for us last year out in center field. So, you know, I, I think around the infield, you just feel really good in the outfield. You feel good. Uh, Colin Burgess, I think, is a very underrated catcher, both offensively and defensively. Uh, and then at shortstop, we've got some really good options in Khalil Robinson and, and the young Jalen Vasquez. So I feel really good that, that we have, like you said, you know, maybe they're not star names yet, but I think some of them will uh, develop into that. And then depth, even names I haven't mentioned yet. We feel really good about the depth as well. So it's 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 a roster that I think we can really work with.
1: One of the reasons why college baseball has the depth that it does, obviously, is you know a lot of teams bringing back a lot of players that might have otherwise moved on to, to pro baseball or whatever is next in their lives. And on top of that, you add a recruiting class. And, and you guys are in that position as well, bringing in another outstanding recruiting class on top of everything you have coming back. And I imagine that creates a little bit of a unique coaching challenge. And so I'm a little bit curious as to, to A, how you approach the fall and an evaluation with, you know, having to bring in a class like that, a bunch of guys who probably expected to play right away, or at least challenge for that with a bunch of guys who are a little more proven. And then, you know, um, you know, what kind of conversations maybe that led with some of those players? And, And I imagine it led to some frank conversations just about expectations coming in that might've been a little bit different than what you had expected when you began recruiting them a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, again, another great question. Uh, I think you've got to be honest with them. Number one, you've got to be honest and you've got to let them know the situation. And um, this is a very, very talented uh, freshman slash transfer class we brought in this year. And they all want to play right away. Of course they do. Everybody on our team wants to play. Everybody on our team wants to be a starter. So what we did this fall is we played probably more games and had more innings pitched and had more at-bats than we've ever had, and so what I found from that is, guys really had an opportunity one to get better uh, because they're playing great competition and practice every day, but it also gave them probably as good a look at, at how they how they rate compared to the competition as any fall I've ever been a part of. And I've been doing this a long time; been very fortunate to be a part of some great programs. Um, and the guys in our post fall meetings were much more realistic than I've ever heard because they saw, okay, that's what an SEC Friday night guy looks like. So if you're a pitcher, you know, okay, I'm not to that point yet. I think I can get there, but I'm not there yet because they were exposed so much to it this fall. Same way with the hitters. The hitters didn't have a chance to, you know, maybe take 25 at bats in a fall and kind of not get overexposed or or not fool you or themselves. I thought our guys got a really good look at what the competition is, what it takes at this level. And so when when I met with our freshmen this, our freshmen this fall, I sensed a much more realistic approach to where they think they are in our program, what they think their role and their playing time should be. And so I think that's a very positive thing. Now, when push comes to shove and a guy's not in the lineup that thought he would be or hoped he would be, you know, how, how is that going to be handled? You know, that's going to be, for all coaches around the country, that's going to be a challenge. And so our approach is just going to continue to be communication, honesty, um, and let them know that, you know, Dan McDonald, who I was on the USA team a couple of years ago with, uh, I thought had a great quote during the draft because they asked him a very similar question. And his answer was, if you think your freshman year is going to be the highlight of your career, then you're not going to have a very good career. So what we're trying to stress with our guys is this is one chapter in a very long book of your career. And so whether you're in the lineup that day or not, you're going to have to continue to treat it as another day of development. And when everything comes out in the wash, your career will will work out the way it, it will it's supposed to work out. So along the way, just be a great teammate, keep working to get better. And if you're the best guy on that day to help us win, you'll be in the lineup. So I think it, the challenge is going to be there for everybody. Uh, Everybody has more players than they're used to having. Everybody has more depth and and older players back than they're used to having. So that communication, that honesty, that big picture, I think is going to be important for a lot of different people.
0: The uh, the, the South Carolina clubs and rivalry is one that a lot of people look forward to every year. Uncertain times, of course, I know the SEC is still working on figuring out what the best model for its schedule will be for the spring, but what's your best guess or or hope about, uh, what, what can happen for that series this year?
2: I think we'll find a way to play one way or another. Um, I think the challenge will be how does the sec schedule match up compared to the ACC schedule? Um, the ACC is playing a couple more weekends, um, of baseball within conference right now. And my guess is at the, at the time of this being uh, recorded, that we may do the same thing. So if we only have two weekends um, of non-conference action, it'll just be a matter of, of hoping that the two non-conference weekends for us match up. Um, if they do, then I think we'll be able to try to find a way to, to play a weekend. If they don't, and we can't make the weekends work, then I think we probably would try to be creative with Tuesday or Wednesday night games. I just think the series is too important to too many people within our state, nationally, players, coaches, fans. There's just too many people that are in love with this series to not try to play it and exhaust every opportunity we may have. And I've talked to Monty Lee about about the series, and we're on the same page. We both really want to play it. It's just so good for our sport. Um, And so we'll do everything we can to try to make sure that these two teams get to play.
1: One of the things that happens as – you and as someone like yourself who has been a head coach in a few different places has had success in a few different places is you start to kind of develop a a coaching tree guys who have coached for you start to break off and and get opportunities themselves and one of them of course most notably is is billy mole who took over at south florida once you moved to south carolina and i'm i'm curious about you know what you saw in billy specifically and, and knew that he could become a head coach but also more generally about the work as a head coach of developing your assistant coaches right alongside developing your players.
2: Yeah, that's, that's something I think all people, all coaches take a lot of pride in. Um, I take a lot of pride in being a part of the Jim Morris coaching tree and uh, you know, having grown up in that, that included Rick Jones and, you know, Rob Cooper and Gino Damari and and myself and Greg Lovelady. So I, I take great pride in having grown up on that coaching tree. And now I also take great pride in, players that I have coached or coaches that have been assistants with me um, getting their opportunities. And I look at Matt Riser at Southeastern, Ryan Copeland at Illinois Springfield, Billy Mole at South Florida. Um, Bo Durkak was the head coach at Illinois State when I went to South Florida. Um, I take a lot of pride in, in guys like that. And Greg Lovelady was a player at Miami when I was an assistant. and He's a head coach at UCF. So I take a lot of great pride in and you know, helping guys that's, that's what this, this business is all about. We all love baseball, but a, a thing we all really love about it is the relationships and the impact you can have on people. And so I'd like to think that in some small way, I've, I've helped those guys, uh, uh, the same way Jim Morris helped me and Rick Jones helped me. So, uh, that's, that's something we take a lot of great pride in Stay in close touch. You know, I talked to Billy quite often and, and Bo quite often and, um, Riser and, and Copeland are guys that you know, I don't talk to quite as much, but I know they're having great success. So it's something you, as a coach you take a lot of pride in because you want to see your players really move on and, and maximize their abilities as players and, and what they can do in the game. But you feel the same way about your coaches as well.
0: From the outside, looking at South Carolina, some of the things you, know, you see about the, the program or just how invested the fans are, the history of course the tradition um that ray tanner was was able to to build and you know take to to the college world series success that he he did and you know a great stadium you know so those are just kind of things you can see from the outside i'm sure you saw them when you were you know elsewhere in the country but now that you're inside the the program there what have you learned about the program about the job since you arrived in columbia a few years ago
2: what I've learned is just, they share the same passion for the sport here that I've always had, whether I was playing or coaching. And that's where, that's something you want to be a part of. And I don't know that that was new. I I, I kind of assume that from the outside, but just getting to see it and feel it from the inside out. Uh, this state takes a lot of pride in South Carolina baseball. And, uh, you just, when you come to work every day, you, you feel it and you want to work hard to, to make those people proud. Um, look, this program has two national championships. And so that's what they want the standard to be. And that's when we recruit or we run a practice, that's what we expect the standard to be. Um, is this getting us closer to that goal? So, um, having Ray Tanner as the AD, obviously that's, that's, a. it's great to have that voice there, that that sounding board. If you have a question about something, you know, how, how the program is being run, uh, you can, you can, easily get him on the phone and say, Hey, tell me when you had it rocking and rolling in 2010, 11, et cetera, you know, how did you handle a situation like this or what part of the, of the state or country did you really seem to uh, find great players from, or, or diamonds in the rough? Um, to me, it's just, it's a program that has everything that, that's necessary. It has the, it has the stadium it has the fan base. It has the support. Um, and they provide for us what we need to be competitive at the highest level. So, I wouldn't say that I've learned anything new about the program because I assumed everything was, was at the absolute highest level um, from inside and out. And what I found is that that is very much true.
0: So one of the things that has come up over the last, you know, extended off season that we've been in, I can't even remember how many months ago it was, but you know, the idea of a new model in college baseball and, you know, Since the fall started, we haven't heard as much about it for a variety of reasons, but you've now had a lot of time to look at that, think of it over, and you've coached at so many different places. I'm interested in what you think of the idea of pushing the season back, pushing everything back, uh, about a month that, that was being discussed uh, in, in that proposal.
2: I would generally be for it. Um, I think this is a sport that's best played in warm weather. Um, the problem is that everybody has a different reason why they can and can't do, you know, a, a backed up schedule. Um, you look at the teams in the north, and, and I was I coached at Illinois State as the head coach there, um, and yeah, you would love to push the, the season back a month uh, so that you get to play more warm weather games, and you don't always have to travel for the first three or four weeks of the season. But then you, most northern schools are not interested in housing players and dorms uh, over the summer. Um, that's just, it's just a fact of life right now. And especially with the pandemic and everything we've gone through, schools are not looking to add costs, they're looking to decrease costs. And so um, I think everybody in the, in, the, in the country generally understands and thinks that if we could move this season back, that would be ideal. Um, more games and more warm weather push it into the summer where, you know, there's been arguments made that a lot of great rivalries um, could have tremendous fan support, whether it's a Michigan, Ohio state, or those, maybe those rivalries will start to get the kind of fan support that a Clemson, South Carolina get, or a a Miami, Florida. Uh, I think that's the, that's the goal. And that would be the, the, people are shooting for whether it's realistic. I just don't know, but I, I think generally people would love to push the season back there's just so many logistical reasons why this the support of administrations and the nca may or may not be behind it and i I know espn feels pretty good about where the college world series falls right now and, and and there may be some trepidation in them moving it back so i just think there's so many moving pieces here that we all know what we'd love it to be whether we could actually get there or not you know that's the million dollar question
1: so we'll wrap here with the same question we end each podcast with, with, with each of our guests. Um, I will ask the question then I will I will filibuster for a second to give you a little bit of time to, to brainstorm. But we ask all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich. And so ah. some, some people take it in the direction of they just describe how they would make their favorite sandwich. So they tell us the bread and then the condiments, the meat, the, the, the vegetables, whatever it is they put on their sandwich. Other people go in a different direction. And they tell us about a specific sandwich at a local place that they really, really like. So we're not picky. You can go in any of those directions. Feel free to take it however you like. But uh, Mark Kingston, please describe to us your favorite sandwich. Okay. Well, I'll give you two if I'm allowed. Absolutely. The first one
2: I'll give you is, and the Florida people will will appreciate this, uh, a buffalo chicken tender uh, sandwich from Publix. That's always high on the list. And then the second one I'll give you is a local here in Colombia uh, at a at a deli called Groucho's. It's it's called the STP, and it has uh, roast beef, turkey, and ham. It has a special sauce, much like a cane sauce or a Zaxby's sauce. It's a it's a special sauce, and it has bacon bits on it, and uh, and it's served warm. And so I would say for me those are, those would be my top two choices. So
1: publix or Grouchos if I'm looking to get a sandwich that's where I'm headed. you know I've heard so much about these publix subs and the chicken tender subs specifically. I've never lived somewhere that had a publix but it, it really feels like I'm missing out.
2: Well the next time you're you're covering an SEC or an ACC game in Florida uh, there's a publix on every corner so make sure you make sure you hit them up.
1: Yeah no doubt no doubt about that.
0: It is uh, it's a it's a good grocery store you know beyond just the the sandwich situation um for sure so we uh you know we're, we're very excited to hear uh about the the gamecocks today and uh, we're even more excited to see you guys out on the field this spring it's been a long time so you know we're we're looking forward to that and, and we appreciate you you taking the time uh you know to to run through everything about the gamecocks with us ahead of that that 2021 season
2: no i appreciate you guys having me on i appreciate the promotion you guys um do for our sport uh it's much appreciated by a lot of people fans coaches players etc so um, really appreciate you having me on and, and can't wait for a great NCAA 2021 college baseball
0: season thank you again to South Carolina coach Mark Kingston for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast Joe it's uh you know like I said when I was you know we were running into that interview interesting team overall uh kind of confusing when you look at uh you know some some various things about them just when you when when i was looking at the, the reminding myself of how the spring went for them you know they lost a series to northwestern at home they lost to the series against clemson uh but they finished 12 and four which is a you know a, a very solid start to the season overall And you look at what they have returning, you look at the talent level, you look at the, uh, you know, the newcomers, another top 15 recruiting class on the way in. And, you know, it shapes up to be a team that I think can compete in the SEC East at a pretty high level. You know, we're not sure what Georgia is going to look like this year. We're kind of expecting them to take a bit of a step back after all that they've lost. Uh, You know, Tennessee is in... um, you know, an interesting spot as well, you know, behind Florida and Vanderbilt, the SEC East looks to be a little more open. And I think that plays to South Carolina's advantage this year.
1: Oh, it it totally does. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting team. And one of the just general subplots about this college baseball season that I think we'll end up writing about a little bit. And you have, you and I have had conversations about how we write about this and, and what it all encompasses. But one of the big subplots here is, Okay, yes. Just about every team in college baseball is deeper this year, is more talented this year than they've ever been. But how does that get expressed? What does that mean? Because you've got teams that are really really experienced. You know, I think of a team like TCU. We had Jim Schlossnagle on the on the show several weeks ago. Really really experienced team. But the question is, well, how much high-end talent is there? And a lot of it is on the pitching staff and is just kind of unproven, maybe that proves itself, but that's a team where I think the 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 sum is going to be greater than the parts. South Carolina is in a place where you really like the individual parts and we're still kind of waiting on the sum. And you, you talked about those series losses last year that were a little bit confounding. And then you look at the individual staff and the individual talents and you're like, what? you know, wow, this is a really talented group. I really like this group individually. And we're still just kind of waiting for that last hump to be jumped over, if you will with this particular group. And and maybe that would have come in 2020. Now, of course we delay to, to 2021, but I think that's what gives me a little bit of pause and what might be reflected. We have not had the the full top 25 discussion between the two of us to put the preseason 25 together, but they're going to be in the mix, but how high they end up in the mix really just has a lot to do with how confident are we that, you know, that this is all going to click together Um, because we believe in the talent the results on an individual level were great in 2020. So we like what we see there, but, you know, is that enough to put them over some of these teams that just year after year after year, they're in the mix, you know, teams like, um, you know, a team that we talked about maybe them being in the mix with, in terms of pecking orders a team, like NC state, where that's an interesting dichotomy because you might like the individual talents in South Carolina more, but, you know, you know, NC state's going to win 36, 37, 38, maybe 40 games and, you know, challenge to maybe host a regional and they're going to be in the postseason And, You just know what you're going to get there. With South Carolina, we're not really exactly sure yet. So we can say that we really like the individual pieces, and I do, and you do, but we're still just kind of waiting a little bit to see what it amounts to in 2021. And that's part of what makes me really excited to see it on the field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They've been on this every other year roller coaster where they go to Super Regionals or they miss the NCAA tournament. And now that was either paused or broken last year because the season got canceled too early for us to find out. But last year was supposed to be a super regional year. If you look at it, um, you know, it's been going on for like five years that, you know, they miss the NCAA tournament and they go to super regionals and they miss it again. And then they go to super regionals and then they miss it again. And, and you know, then 2020 happened. I, it's uh it's a little confounding. I know it's frustrating for South Carolina fans, uh, but if uh, that that's the cycle that Mark Hinston has to break here, that, you know, as as his tenure continues, that he inherited that, you know, that that was that was he inherited a team that had missed the NCAA tournament in two out of three years and had had that super regional in the middle. Um, and then he goes to super regionals in his first year and then in 19 takes a step back. So he now has to you know, his mission is to get them. First of all, just to stabilize it, get them to be the consistent regional team that, you know, South Carolina should be. And then, or the consistent super regional team, even if you want that, uh, you know, and then try and get back to where they were at the start of the decade when they were in three straight finals and won back-to-back titles. That That's where they're eventually trying to build to, but before that, they just need to get a bit more Uh, Of that consistency, and and I there's every reason to believe that they can do that. Uh, But to do that, they really need in 2021 to take that step forward. That you know we're expecting, that we're now looking for. Um, You know, it's too much to say at this point that they're going to be there with Florida and Vanderbilt at the end of the season though I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but that's too much to put on them now. But if they can just be in the mix to not only make the tournament, but in the mix to host, I think that would be a very solid 2021 season for a team that is simultaneously old, but inexperienced because they're, they're very they're older because there's a lot of Juco talent on this team. Um, You know, we mentioned guys like Thomas Farr and Brandon Jordan You know, so they're older, but they don't have that much more experience. Just because, at least in SEC play, in college baseball overall, yes, but we don't know necessarily yet how they're going to hold up against the rigors of SEC play.
1: That is interesting. The roster construction really is kind of fascinating because, you know, the, the level of JUCO talent, or let's just say draft eligible talent, to put a broader brush there, makes it to where there is a little bit of urgency here and they've continued to recruit well so i'm not suggesting that you know if in 21 they're good but not great you know they, they get to a regional and that's kind of it they lose a bunch of talent draft like that's i'm not saying that's ball game for the for the program clearly that's not the case with the way they've been recruiting but if they want to win with this group there is a little bit of urgency there because they they do have a lot of guys who are going to be of interest to talent evaluators and in a world where you know we're not going back to a and i'll let the, the pro the guys who cover the pro side at, at Baseball America really uh, say definitively, but, you know, it's not likely we're going back to a 40-round draft. We're probably looking at something like 20, but even in a 20-round draft, there's a lot of players in South Carolina uh, that are going to be of interest. And let's be honest, a lot of guys drafted later in the 20th round probably come back to school anyway. So those are the, the players we're really talking about. I'm The pitching side draws attention because there are guys like like Farr and Brandon Jordan, and also there's a little bit of word association with South Carolina in pitching that is, is well-earned. I do have a sneaking suspicion this team might mash though. Uh, one of the things that I um, could have gotten a little bit deeper in if we had more time with him was kind of, what is the, what is the nature of this team on offense? Because, you know, they did lose a guy in Noah Campbell a guy who'd been in the program for a long time, but you know, he's got some athleticism, some base stealing ability. You know, maybe he's a guy that never really put all the tools together in a South Carolina uniform, which you, you can't really doubt the, the athleticism, the speed side of the game and what he brought to the table there. There are probably guys in the lineup who, who are going to bring that in 2021. I don't think that goes away, but I do think it is going to be a pretty power oriented team. Um, you know, guys like Andrew Eister and Wes Clark, um, Wes Clark had eight home runs last year. That's quite a bit for uh, 16 games. But then you look at a guy we talked about, Brendan Malone, which, you know, he talks about him being the best bat they have. And with what we saw in 2020, if he's the best bat they have and he was a guy who didn't really get much of a chance to play in 2020, that really bodes well for this team offensively in 2021. And that's kind of a piece that's that's been a little bit missing. There have been recent years where South Carolina's offense are kind of like, where, you know, where are the dudes? They maybe have one guy at a time who has a big year, but there just isn't a lot of depth there. I think this is a year where they really are going to have some mashers throughout the order. Versus just having one guy that everything kind of revolves around.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the offense over the last, uh, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here, but at least at the, you know, in 15, 16, 17, maybe in 18 as well. um, Frankly, I don't remember the 2019 (laughs) season uh, as it relates to South Carolina. I don't think – I saw the Gamecocks that year, but, you know, nothing – nothing really big stands out. So I, I don't want to necessarily paint them with this brush, but a lot of it was, you know, just a lot more contact oriented than it was power oriented. And for a while there, you know, you think about some of the, the best hitters as college hitters, they were really, you know, kind of contact oriented guys The the power never really came. And, you know, at, at, at your best, especially in that ballpark, I feel like you're going to need to eventually, you know, hit some home runs. And, um, you know, so if they can do that, if, if I and Clark and, and, you know, Malone can can become those kinds of players, you know, I that bodes pretty well for them. I mean, they still have some athletic guys that can get on base and run around, uh, which is obviously an important part of building your lineup as well. But I, I do think that that would be big for them if they could get some, some more consistent power in there because I, I think when you, I, when when it comes down to it, you need some power bats. And and so if they've got that now, if they, if they can mix this all together, they they've got a lot to work with there. And, you know, I mean, Noah Campbell is a big name. He was a two-time preseason All-American. He had a really nice summer on the Cape going into his draft year, but he also never did it in Colombia really. So if that's the guy that you lost, um unfortunate that he never was able to put it together for you wearing a South Carolina uniform, but at the same time it was a little more promised than it was fulfilled potential uh in terms of what he was bringing. So, you know, I not the I don't want to minimize the loss, but it is it, it's a little different losing that kind of player than losing you know, a first round pick, or a guy even like Malinowski who went just outside of the first round. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the pitching staff comes together uh, without Malinowski. He's by far been their best pitcher over the last couple of years, even with his injury. Um, you know, so it, I like what they have overall. I think the pitching staff can be really deep if they can get some of these hitters to to take that step forward. I think this team ends up being pretty interesting, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see on them and uh debate them a little bit in the in terms of our top 25 discussions. I'm not quite sure where they're gonna land, but I do think, you know, right now, if you go and look at our never too early top 25 that we did coming out of the summer, we don't have South Carolina. I would expect that to change. I've been encouraged by what I've heard this fall uh and, and what I've you know looked into around the the Gamecocks, but you know, where exactly that means they're, they're going to end up in the rankings. I guess you'll just have to check back in in, uh, in a few weeks.
1: Yeah, it's uh, just to give a little context on the offensive discussion, because because you mentioned it, you know, the 2019 team, you look at it and there was some power there. They had four guys that had double digit home runs. The problem was they hit 236 as a team.
0: Yeah, so it's not going to get it done. You got you to gotta do both. <laughs> yeah, right. You kind of have
1: to have both pieces there. Um, so that was, you know, but it's kind of been a mix of guys. So that they've had guys who have been, Really good for a short periods of time. I think about a guy like Carlos Cortez that kind of came in and, mm-hmm. and provided some thunder, but it was it's a pretty narrow window there. Or guys who maybe were inconsistent or took a while to get going. LT Tolbert and Jonah Bride, guys like that who we, we kind of waited on and waited on and they they had their moments in the sun. Alex Destino, I guess, you know, was was a guy who kind of fits into that. So it was this kind of back and forth between guys who, who took a while to get there or were a little bit inconsistent or guys who had good numbers, but did it for a a pretty short period of time. Um, This offense has an opportunity, I think, to kind of put it all together at once and and hit with the same kind of power that we saw in 2019, but uh, hopefully hit a little bit better than 236.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll see where they go from there. Um, You know, within the, uh, the, the context of, of, you know, breakouts and, stuff you know let's talk a little bit more about brendan malone joe who we had our top 25 last week was breakout candidates brendan malone landed on that list um and you mentioned that we could have put more south carolina players on that list and we certainly could have thomas farr could have gone on there um i know you mentioned a couple other guys that 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 could have been on there i mean frankly i think the team is a breakout team so you know, what about Brendan Malone? You know, we've talked about it a little bit, you know, or some of those other guys that, uh, you know, within the the Gamecocks program that you think could be the, the breakout potentials. Yeah.
1: Brendan Malone caught my eye because of a lot of what coach Kingston said, where, you know, he was injured last year, played just five games and and I don't care who you are. If you, if you've missed some time early in the season, then you get thrown back into it. It's going to be hard to get your, your swing going in, in five games. And he was showing signs there at the, at the tail end of those five games, but you take that. And then, you know, we we've started the process of, of doing team previews and stuff like that. So we, you know, we've got a little bit of uh, a little bit of insight information, if you will. And that's a guy who they're penciling right back in as the three hitter in that lineup. And when you talk about the guys they bring back, we just got done talking to coach Kingston about it in a lineup full of guys that they're pretty confident in the fact that they're going to say Brendan Malone, you're going to hit right back in the middle of this order. And we think you're, we're confident you're going to be our best guy. Well, I mean, now you're talking about a real dude and that's kind of what we expected coming into last year. He was one of the more anticipated uh, position players coming into college baseball last year and, and the injuries and just the season being cut off when it did, didn't give him an opportunity to show what he could do. So if you take someone who Dealt with the adversity he did. And now they're going to, they, they pencil him in to be right in the middle of the order and be their best guy. What well, that's really enough for me. Um, now he still has to do it. That's the thing, but um, th- that's what really struck me about, about him. This list in general kind of fits into two buckets for me. There's bucket number one, which is hyper talented guys that are just unproven because they haven't had the time. Jack Leiter, I think Jaden Hill, to some degree, fits into this. He's kind of between the buckets, which I'll give you my other bucket here in a second. But Nate Savino, I think, fits into that that bucket. Brooks Lee, certainly, in that bucket. Then the other bucket is guys who have kind of bided their time. Maybe it's because they're on a really talented team and they just haven't had their opportunities. Maybe it's a guy who's taking a big jump. Richard Fitz at Auburn is a guy who's you know coming close to triple digits on his fastball now. He's been a nice piece for Auburn the last few years, but now he looks like he's a, a Friday dude. For Auburn, and that could be a real game changer. Now that they're replacing Tanner Burns, one guy that I I would call out is Glenn Albanese at Louisville, who who fits into that second bucket. He's thrown 18 in the third innings over two years, and granted, one of those years was 2020, and and maybe you know maybe he he's a guy who really becomes a, a bullpen stalwart in 2020, but he just never got that chance. But he's a guy that Louisville's looking at on Fridays now. He came back in the fall, was a, one of the stars of the fall for Louisville. He's another guy whose stuff has taken a jump you know, this fastball now sitting in the mid nineties, touching the high nineties, and he's important because Louisville needs it. You know, Luke Smith is back in the folds. That's a guy you trust in the rotation, but you know, they lost Reed Detmers and Bobby Miller as first round picks. So they've got two spots at the front of the rotation. And ultimately you'd like it if Luke Smith is your Sunday guy, like Luke Smith is a nice piece, but, but you want him to be the Sunday guy and you want a couple guys with a little higher ceiling on those first two days on the weekend. And Um, So if Albanese can step up and be that Friday guy, he's got the stuff to do it. Like that sounds like a Louisville Friday guy, guy firing high nineties fastball is going to try to blow it by you. The numbers have been good in his career. He just has never taken on this role. That's one I'm going to be watching closely because I think his success level doing that is going to have a lot to say about what Louisville ends up being a team that's very, very good. Love their position players, but do they, do they have the type of Friday night guy they're used to having?
0: Yeah, that's, um, I mean, they got a lot of options and, you know, Albany's is is a good one, but you think about Prosecchi, um, you know, and, and they, they, they have, you know, who is so good for them already in a lesser role. Can he now step up? Can they get a guy uh, like Michael Kirian to move from the bullpen and do it? They've got options. And, uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. But, you know, uh, not Prosecchi, Albany's is, uh, you know, it's an intriguing one. And, you know, I I think when, you know, maybe when we set out, when I envisioned this list, I was hoping to uncover more guys like Glenn Albany's. And because that's important to be able to identify those players now, or at least like that, that's cool if we can identify them now. Uh, But it wound up being that we also had to include a guy like Jack Leiter, who is probably one of the most famous people in college baseball, but, you know, frankly, hasn't done what you would expect him to do to have that fame and to, you know, be considered a top, you know, five pick in the in the upcoming draft class so if he's going to live up to that draft status if you know, he's going to have to have effectively a breakout season or at least take a big step forward on the mound and you know, so that that leads to him and Jaden hill and nate savino guys who we're not questioning in any way their their upside or their talent but you know that's why those guys are leading this list because they still have another gear to get to to really kind of live up to the hype that is currently surrounding them.
1: Yeah, that was, yeah, I mean, that was, I'm with you. Like, I, I was more, I'm more interested in, not that I'm like, look, I'm looking forward to seeing Jack Leiter and Jaden Hill pitch, Nate Savino. Like, I really am looking forward to that, especially given the way last season ended. But I, like you, I'm kind of more interested in the guys who, the guys who we've kind of had to dig a little bit or guys that um, have been around and maybe just made a, a big jump in there in their development. So um, and that's why this list was kind of fun. It's a little bit of a mix um, of those type of guys. A couple others that I, I thought of, or, or that I um, made particular note of, or one is Jonathan Cannon, which if you substitute Georgia and Jonathan Cannon into the discussion we just had about Louisville and Glen Albany's, you've kind of got the same thing uh, where Hancock and Wilcox get drafted. And Jonathan Cannon's kind of the guy we're looking at as okay. Is he ready to be, the Friday guy. The other is Brock Jones at Stanford, super good athlete, played football, uh, played defensive back at Stanford, gave up football, focusing on baseball. And look, the Stanford offense just needs somebody to be a difference maker in the lineup. I like some of their, what they have on the mound. I think they're going to pitch. Okay. But last year in in a small sample, granted the offense was, was just not good. Um, So I'm not saying it has to all be Brock Jones, but, but he looks like a guy that could be a difference maker there for a team that really, really needs it.
0: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm interested in that for sure. I also would want to throw out Parker Messick at Florida State, who was really good out of the bullpen in a multi-inning role as a freshman last year. And now Florida State has two open spots like like Louisville uh, in their rotation after C.J. Van Eyck and Shane Drohan uh, move on to pro ball. And Messick has, uh, ha- has put himself in a position this fall where he's probably going to start the season in Florida state's rotation potentially could be their opening day starter. They like Louisville have, you know, an experienced guy in Connor Grady uh, still in the rotation, but Grady's not a typical Friday starter. So if Messick can come in and provide that, that would be, that'd be big for the Knowles. And he, uh, he shut down Florida um, in uh, what wound up being the Gators last game of the season. I guess the Knowles played again the next night, but, um, you know, out of the bullpen that night in Gainesville, Parker Messick looked outstanding. So if he can do that over an extended outing, um, he would be, he would be excellent for, for Florida state at the front of the rotation and would really, really be a nice, um, you know, having lost what they lost that, that would be a great thing for them to be able to plug in a guy like that into their rotation. Um, I'm also interested in, uh, in J.P. Massey at Minnesota. He's a guy that has a lot of potential, um, has pitched a decent amount for the Gophers, 44 innings so far, hasn't really put it together yet, but Max Meyer is gone, and so they've got, they've got a hole as well at the front of the rotation. Massey has the kind of arm to fill that and to fill it really well. The question now is just going to be, can he do it? Uh, consistently enough to, uh, to, to lead the Gophers rotation this year.
1: Yeah. The Minnesota team is interesting not to do a deep dive here, but I think it's an interesting position player group they have. And I'm really interested to see Massey as well. And, you know, you would have liked to have seen a little earlier, um, you know, not players develop on their own timelines. This is not me being hard on JP Massey, but I'm just saying that, you know, one of the things that Minnesota has kind of struggled with the last couple of years, especially with, the drop-off that Patrick Fredrickson has struggled with after his outstanding freshman year is finding a complementary piece in the rotation consistently for Max Meyer. They've had years where I think the team was good enough in a lot of different spots, but it was just Max Meyer and then being really unsure what they were going to get the rest of the week. And now, of course, Meyer is gone, so there's a little bit more pressure on just finding anybody to to, to really be super consistent on the weekends, and I'll I'll be fascinated to see if, if Massey is indeed that guy.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And the Gophers could use it. And McCade Brown at Indiana in a similar spot heard a lot about what he did this summer. Now he's going to have to do it for the Hoosiers. So a couple of Big Ten, big, Big Ten arms um, that that are interesting. And, you know, we we could have put maybe a Sean Burke on here at Maryland to stay on the Big Ten theme, uh, but he's it was also, frankly, kind of hard to figure out who has broken out already in in a short season. And ultimately, we decided Sean Burke had, was too good. Had he'd already broken out, even if that's a name that, you know, college baseball fans are maybe a little unfamiliar about, because it it, it was happening at Maryland and. Um, you know, he he was doing it as a redshirt freshman after being injured in two thousand nineteen. So, you know, some names might be missing from this list. Joe, who else, um, you know, kind of fit that that Sean Burke mold? Yeah, that I mean, that
1: was kind of the that that was the the tough thing where I, I you know somebody tweeted um, I happened to just kind of catch it, but somebody tweeted the the Baseball America account when this when this top twenty five went uh went live and asked well hasn't jack lighter kind of already broken out he was awesome in 2020 in and that's that's true um
0: but you know um i mean he did it as not really being a part of the weekend yeah, rotation. that, that like, was another function like Jaden hill was awesome in the bullpen but like he's going to have a different role this year so we were kind of looking for guys with different role
1: right so some of the other guys that, that stand out um you know, you kind of still have these buckets of like, you know, guys who, who are kind of, um, you know, more known names. Although at this point that the, the most known names are on this list, but there you have those and you kind of have the, the more developmental guys, but uh, you know, a couple of guys that this is out to me, one of them actually just got mentioned on the podcast. That's Julian Bosnick at South Carolina. He's one of the other South Carolina guys we could have put on this list. I'm glad coach Kingston mentioned him as a member of the rotation. One of the more, borderline cases of has he broken out has he not broken out Is court rodig he's thrown a lot of innings at georgia tech um but you know he is now being looked to as a guy that the rotation is going to um hinge a lot on what he's able to what he's able to do in in 2021 georgia tech has a few guys like that that are you know good stuff not, you know, haven't fully proven themselves. Um, you know, Brant Herder is another guy like that. He has a little more track record. I think that than Rodig. but, um, so there's a couple guys there at Georgia Tech. One other is, um, Jack Carey at Duke is interesting. Duke's rotation is a little bit interesting because a, we're kind of looking for the next Bryce Jarvis, Bryce Jarvis, really nice arm that came into 2020 and just absolutely crushed it in 2020, earned his way into being drafted higher than you would have expected coming into the season. But, you know, between Cooper Stinson is there, Henry Williams is a sophomore they really like, or I guess a second-year freshman. But Jack Carey is a guy that when I talked to Coach Pollard earlier this offseason, he he really spoke highly of. He's a guy who doubled down on trying to get better in the offseason, spent time at driveline, which, you know, more and more guys are doing. If it's not driveline, it's something kind of like line. So that's not all that unique anymore. But but a guy whose stuff has taken a jump because he really doubled down on trying to, to figure out the mechanical piece of it. So, um he's a guy I'm interested in just because I think we, we are kind of looking, you know, Duke always pitches well. And sometimes they have guys that make these leaps and, and, and could it be Jack Carey? So I'll be, I'll be fascinated for that one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'd encourage everyone to check out the list over at baseballamerica.com. Um, you know, it's one of the, when we conceived of doing these top 25 lists throughout the offseason, this is one that I thought of early on, but we really had to wait to see, you know, what kind of information we could get from fall ball to do it so I'm, I'm glad we were able to do it it's going to end up being the last one of the year we'll, we'll see if we what 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 our schedule looks like in january if we're restarting the series then but uh if we don't i'm glad we were we were able to, to get this one in so i would encourage you to check it out uh joe before we get out of here i um wanted to, to quickly take a a a side trip into the college football world for a second um the regular season there ended over the weekend and college football bowls were announced and so every year on twitter i for the last several i i've done a poll where i ask which of the the first of all the the new york six the big bowl games um you people would most like to see on the diamond this spring uh and then the rest of the bulls so joe answer live my poll on the podcast which new year's six matchup would you like to see on the diamond this spring i include four because that's all twitter will allow you to do we've got alabama notre dame got clemson ohio state oklahoma florida a unc the fifth is cincinnati and georgia and then the sixth is really the right answer because it's Oregon and Iowa State. And if they were able to play that on the diamond, that would mean Iowa State added football. So that's like number one. Uh, just because we would love to see the Hawkeye, not the Hawkeyes, excuse me. We would love oh, to boy. see the Cyclones. Oh, boy. <laughs> we would love to see the Cyclones get back into the college baseball business, but uh, obviously not an option right now.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, so added baseball at the beginning, you said that that means Iowa State would have added football. Um, oh, well. Which for a lot of Iowa state's history, it felt like maybe they hadn't added uh, football. I'm Hey-o. just doing great
0: here in the state of Iowa right now. What?
1: Yeah, well, the good news is they don't have baseball, so there are, maybe there, there aren't too many Iowa State fan <laughs> fans will be incensed that you referred to them as the Hawkeyes. I actually like that matchup better if Iowa State doesn't add baseball and they just like have a ragtag like walk-on tryout. And they're like, hey guys. <laughs> We're going to go play Oregon. We need like 25 guys. uh, So come on down. We're just going to see what we got and going to head up there. So to actually answer your question. So Oklahoma, Florida is one of the, one of the, one of the options, right?
0: That's correct.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the answer there. I think, I mean, it's, it's obviously the number one team in the country in Florida spoiler alert and an Oklahoma team that um, is getting better, I think is, is really, really good, even though they're going to do some retooling in the rotation. Like I just really like that group um, as a talented, talented group there. Uh, you know, Texas A&M UNC has its,
0: um, has that's its the early leader in the poll and there really? are more than 200 votes. So it's going to be hard to overturn it. So I would guess, and I frankly don't understand it because yeah, Oklahoma, Florida, seems like the answer to me and m UNC I'd be interested in, but UNC is not like, it's just Question hard marks. to know what they yeah. are right now. Yep. Um, I, I think A&M has a chance to be pretty good. UNC has the chance but there's there's a lot of unknowns there right now which would make it interesting but you know the it's a little more uncertain than the rest of these matchups I would say
1: yeah I know I agree I mean that's a that's a good baseball matchup um, but it, you know it's one especially in 2021 like I, I don't know that either of those teams are going to be in our preseason top 25 I mean there's reasons to to like them but um, you know there was uh, what what's the Alabama matchup? What was, I, Notre I Dame, notice, Notre which Dame. that's um, intriguing. I, I kind of like It that. is.
0: I mean, so you have Alabama, which was last year's like breakout, you know, we were going to see what they could do in SEC play, but there's every reason to think that they will be better or at least prove that what they were doing last year was for real this year. And then you have Notre Dame, which was another darling team at the start of the season, swept UNC on the last weekend of the year. Um, and then went out and added some intriguing and grad transfers. So, you know, again, are they can at least prove that what they were doing last year wasn't a mirage. Nico Cavadas is back in that lineup. Um, they got nice athleticism. I would be very intrigued in, in how that would turn out. I'd also be intrigued in Clemson and Ohio State just because Ohio State last year got off to a sluggish start, but you know, they have Seth way back, they've got some arms. And you know, I I Clemson is always going to hit. They've got some intriguing arms of their own. I I think that'd be a fun matchup. Um, maybe not as fun as Oklahoma and Florida. Maybe it would be funner though, because, you know, Florida just it seems like a runaway freight train potentially. And Oklahoma has a little bit of retooling to do. We've talked about that here on the podcast before about, um, you know, totally new rotation. What's that going to look like?
1: Yeah. So I think Florida, Oklahoma is the answer. If you're looking for, you know, you just want big, bold face names, you can put in lights. Like I think that's, that's there, but I, you know, if you're really looking for what the most illuminating series would be in 2021, it might be that Alabama Notre Dame series. So um, that's a good one. Cause some, you know, you do this poll every year and sometimes it's like you get one or two, they're like, okay, you know, but then the rest are kind of duds. I feel like you've got a, a really good batch this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So then we got non new Year's six and this one is hard because again, only four options and, There are a lot of really good options, Uh, but the four that I chose were UCF and BYU. Oh, and don't ask me what any of these bowls are because I don't know. UCF, BYU, Oklahoma State, Miami, Arkansas, TCU, and Ole Miss, Indiana. Hmm.
1: Those are good ones too. I would probably go Arkansas, TCU. Um, That seems to be the... um, that seems to be the, the just a quick snap judgment answer here. Oklahoma State, Miami, also interesting, kind of in the same way that different, but similar to Alabama and Notre Dame and that we'd learn a lot. I think Oklahoma State, Miami, we'd learn a lot too. Those are, those are, you know, two programs that are, you know, have some, some new guys in, in big roles and we're kind of unsure about exactly what we're going to get. And I think that would, that would probably help us learn a lot about those two teams. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Arkansas TCU with Oklahoma State, Miami as a close second.
0: Yeah, I would definitely sign up for three games of Hogs Frogs. Um, that would be fun. Just period, no doubt about it. I, I, I think UCF BYU would be really intriguing. That in UCF you got a team that started really hot, uh, but has some questions to answer. They lost a few pieces from from that team. BYU was really young last year, but highly talented. So I would just be interested in in that kind of you know intersectional matchup. Um, but yeah, it's hard to go against any of the three, you know, big brand name potential games here in Oklahoma State, Miami, or Ole Miss, Indiana. Um, hard to go against you know them. And I, again, Hogs, Frogs, like those are two teams that are going to be ranked to start the season. Um, you know, two really great brands, programs, fan bases. it'd be a fun series. No way around it. Uh, a couple that I didn't mention, but we got Liberty against Coastal. Tennessee and West Virginia, I think those two, um, you know, nice potential as well. Maybe not quite as, uh, as big as, as the the matchups I did choose, but, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard to narrow down the entire bowl slate to just four options, uh, even in a year where there are less bowl games than we're used to.
1: Tennessee, West Virginia would definitely be an interesting one. I've started doing a little bit of like really early digging on the big 12 for preview purposes. And, You know, I don't think West Virginia's. you know, they're they're going to be someone I, a team I predict towards the bottom of the league, but they've got talent. That team is talented and intriguing. And last year, I know Randy Mazey really liked the young talent they had on that roster. We just didn't get to see it develop. So that's a team I'm kind of looking for is to, you know, kind of like in that group, you know, the pre, the group that ended up hosting the couple of years leading up, you could kind of see it coming. And I just wonder if maybe that's what we'll see the next couple of years with West Virginia
0: as this group kind of comes together. Yeah, I think both teams, you, it's another series. We would learn a lot if if they wound up playing. And, uh, you know, I like that they're kind of close to each other geographically. And, you know, I feel like both programs have a chip on their shoulder. You know, West Virginia definitely does. I think that's fair to say that they feel like they're overlooked a lot of times in the Big 12 uh, and maybe nationally as well. Uh, and then Tennessee is uh, – you know they're they're just trying to to come back, uh, you know, get back to where they're they feel like they should be after you know 15 years of not being uh, in Omaha and 13 years, 14 years of not making the NCAA tournament. So you know they're they're kind of clawing their way back, and um, you know, so I, I just feel like both of those programs play with an edge, and uh, so I think that that would make for you know a fun uh, a fun series if if that were to happen. All right, so that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Um, We will be back here next week uh, with a a show to wrap up the season. Joe and I are kind of trying to figure out uh, what way we're going to take it. Maybe some New Year's resolutions, maybe some some Christmas presents, maybe a little bit of both. We'll see. Uh, But we're going to we're going to have some fun with it. I would also say if you have any questions, it'd be a great time for us to answer them. Uh, on that show. So feel free to, uh, to send them to us uh, either via email or on Twitter. And I am at Ted Cahill and Joe is at Joe Healy BA. So we will be back to talk with you guys next week on the baseball America college podcast. Uh, We want to thank you for listening. Uh, Wish you all happy holiday uh, and and hopefully everyone can have, uh, have some holiday cheer. Uh, as, as we get through Christmas and, and, and get, uh get into New Year's. And again, before you know it, it'll be the, the college baseball season as well. So thank, every, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Mark Kingston for joining us this week on the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you to Rapsodo for sponsoring it. And for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time.